2019 Latino as Fuck Tour. It's the Latino as Fuck Tour. Man, we have so many cities. We're just going to shout some out. We're super excited. January 24th, we're coming to Salt Lake City. Wise Guys Comedy Club. My first time in Salt Lake doing comedy. And then we hit West Palm Beach, Florida at the Improv. January 31st, we are going to Miami, are we not? Brand new improv, too, so you're going to be one of the first comedians there. Brand new club, February 1st, February 2nd, and then shout out to West Texas. Do you have family in Odessa, Mighty Sword? I, no, they moved back, remember, in Midland? Well, either way, somebody yeah. got family in Midland, <laughs> Odessa. March 2nd, we'll see you there. Waco, Texas, shout out to Chip and Joanna Gaines. See hey, you there at the Hippodrome. We're going to invite them to the show, March 15th. At the Hippodrome, March 15th, man. Corpus Christi, Texas, shout out to the 361. Of course, Mesquite Street Comedy Club, March 28th through the 30th. And then we're going to get some nice dry air, get away from this humidity. Arizona. Arizona. April 4th. Ooh, that's right. And then also we're hitting uh, Tempe. Shout out to MC Magic. You know, maybe he could sing the commercial. That's uh, Mar- what is that? April 5th, April 6th. And then for 420. <laughs> Puro pinche Denver SA, 418 through 420. San Jose, shout out to the Bay. And then um, maybe some little festival might happen this year. Some something little, cool for some, Chingo some, de Mayo. Yeah, something cool for Chingo de Mayo. But we'll keep you posted. Again, all these tour dates are on. All these tour dates. <laughs> tour night dates. Dikes. <laughs> all these tour Fortnite. dates. Fortnite. Fortnite. <laughs> uh, at ChingoBling.com. The newly remodeled ChingoBling.com. <laughs> the newly remodeled ChingoBling.com. All my tour dates and all that. We got some cool merch. The tour is crazy. Latino is fuck. And so many more cities, man. We're hitting the West Coast because we're going to damn near be living in L.A. for the month of June. And we're hitting everything from motherfucking uh, Hollywood down to San Diego. Of course, we haven't forgot about Texas. We're doing a Texas month. That's right. We're hitting McAllen, Houston, Addison. That's all around August. And Pacific Northwest, Portland. And we're going back to North Carolina. Raleigh. Y'all know what's up. I'll see you there. Tacoma, D.C., Albuquerque. And we end it in San Antonio in October. Hell of a year. I'm excited. It's going to be a good tour. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about going to some of these cities we haven't been back to in a while. We haven't been back to uh, to D.C. Yeah, I think we skipped it last year. But Mm -hmm. new jokes, new drip. The campaign is crazy. 2019, we love y'all. We can't wait to meet y'all, see you. Y'all show us around your town. Where the tacos at? And we'll see you, man. All tour dates on chingobling.com. Latino is fuck. Happy New Year, cabrones. Puro pinche happy New Year. I'm your host, Chingo Blingo with the big tamarindo. Happy New Year, everybody. We got Rob G in the building. Happy New Year, everyone. We got my uh, ball and chain that I decided to bring into the New Year with me. <laughs> you better. Happy New Year, everyone. And we have the Drake of documentaries. All the way from motherfucking yeah, uh, yeah. north of the Trump wall, north of the other Trump <laughs> wall, because you know he wants to build one in, through through Canada too. No, Canada wants to build one to keep him out. Man, uh, <laughs> we got Adam Adam Scorgy, okay. Adam Scorgy, man, uh-huh. uh, actor, producer. He, he's the Drake of documentaries, man. Like back when Netflix, when you still had to, you know, there was a thing called Blockbuster back in the day. But back when Netflix started. And you used to have to like mail them a money order and then they would go down to the Pony Express and they'd sh- ship your, your, your widget, you know, your DVD is a thing that some of y'all might not know what it is. This man had a documentary already on Netflix. I did. Thank you very much. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, I, love, I love that expression, the Drake of documentaries. I'm, I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Y'all were like neighbors up there. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait, who else is Canadian? Bieber. Or you'd be like the Bieber 
of, uh, of autobiographies. <laughs> I'll take Drake of documentaries. Yeah, I prefer yeah. that. Thank and you. And then we get real specific. He's like, he's like the Andre 3000 of sports docs. Yeah. <laughs> of, like, of like niche pothead documentaries. The best in the world, man. Uh, well, welcome to the show, brother. Thank, no, thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, pumped to be able to connect with Rob and I go way back and meet you and, and jump on. I, uh, I, I love to talk, so thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, hey, we love to chit-chat as well. Yeah. Uh, what y'all do last night for New Year? Took it easy, man. I, I'm here with my parents, so we just, uh, my parents have a big, beautiful place here, and they just heated up the pool in the back, and we nice. took the kids out, because I have three, and then my, my, cu- my kids' cousins were over, so we just did that, and had some friends call in, and did the countdown, and then uh, just did it easy. For, for low-key, that you did Yeah, I had like more. one glass of champagne, and I had a beer, and I indulged in way too many... Uh, my caloric intake was way too high. We had like steak, lobster, and then desserts oh. and stuff. So oh, yeah. I was going to try to be motivated and like go to the gym before I came here today, but that didn't happen. It's all good, man. Yeah. Good. I got up and had breakfast and had a Red Bull and then, uh, uh, yeah, dropped my brother off. So there's no, no, uh, hitting my New Year's resolution yet. I'll start tomorrow. Start yeah, tomorrow. start tomorrow, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Last night we had a, a silly string, uh, war in the backyard. Oh, I'm good at that. We, uh, we went and spent, whole bunch of time at a party city because we wanted four balloons to put our goals inside like rolled up like a little you know like you trying to get a message into the prison system yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying but you stick them in balloons and um the, the the line at party city man was like crazy it was insane i've and, never been and i had city. to wait let me, tell, let me tell you how long it was that i was able to breastfeed my child in the car and she was done by the time that he came to, back to the car damn Damn, yeah. Hard yeah. and hard in H Town. She, she booked uh, uh, hotels and travel for Sundance. <laughs> she uh, she I was caught in the up car some... doing a bunch of oh, oh yeah, you emails. Guys, you guys going to Sundance? Yeah. Oh, I'll see you guys. Well, there. I have a show, yeah. uh, ladies and gentlemen. The go Salt to chimbobling.com if you need your tickets. Salt Lake City, uh, January twenty fourth. Uh, you know my my agent. Shout out to my agent. Lined it up that way. There Actually, my agent's right here. She's right, <laughs> right next to me. Holler, travel agent. Uh, yeah, man. So we're kicking off the tour, the uh, motherfucking Latinos fuck tour, and we kick it off in SLC. And I'm gonna shimmy on over to Park City. Oh, you got it, man. Yeah. You guys never done. I go to my family built a place out there seven years ago, and I Sundance is my favorite week of the year. I do not miss. I go for work and play. Uh, lots a lot of, of snowboarding. Lots or work. No, we some we usually get one, maybe two days out getting old and retired when we go i have meetings during the day my, my buddies are always like why are you so fucking tired i'm like well i stayed up with you guys till three in the morning but then i had a meeting at 9 a.m with hbo and showtime yeah, i had to be yeah, on point yeah, where yeah. you guys got to sleep in till yeah. noon be alert, i was up yeah. yeah and i had to be but my parents have this amazing steam shower in the room so i go i usually just i can feel like death i'm like oh i don't know how i'm gonna do this meeting i go on the steam shower Wait, tell me about the steam shower. You can just, what is oh, it? You, you just, just, it's preset oh. to like 115. You just hit the buttons. It turns like a giant song. It turns into Houston, Texas. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it's got like 10 different jets and everything coming there. So it like steams, refreshes you. I have my coffee. I have a couple Advil and I'm like, oh man. Oh my God. I didn't even drink last that. night. Oh, it's the best. And then I usually put a little eucalyptus cup under the steam, because the steam thing's in the bottom corner, so then it'll be like a big eucalyptus Damn. steam. Oh, my you know God. Genius. <laughs> Waking up like a real guy. That's how, yeah. by the time I go to the meeting, they're like, man, this guy's so energized. Like, it's right? like vapor room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm three hours of sleep. Yeah. Is this a documentary about vapes? <clears throat> so my, my wife always teases me, too. She's like, why are you so tired when you come back from this thing? I'm like, well, because also, so my best friends that like I lived in New York with and from L.A., we all come and meet that week, right? Because... 
to, whenever you go to visit somebody, if you're not on neutral territory, right, then you, you end up being like, ah, I just got to go to the office for a bit and I just got to go do this. Yeah. And so all of us come from all different parts of the world. Like Kieran, my manager comes from LA and Brad and Jared and them come from Michigan. So we all come and we hang out for a week. So I, you know, we stay up till two, three in the morning, chatting, having fun and, you know, blazing a little bit here and there maybe yeah, yeah. i don't blaze often but uh when i when all the boys are together and when, then when in park city when exactly. in park city yeah. one must partake but sundance is like it's so much more than a festival oh, yeah, now. Yeah. like actually uber uber launched there their initial it's like trial run was bigger yeah it's sundance like, yeah. is self by is huge which i'm hoping to actually premiere the danny Trejo doc there oh, we nice. submitted fingers oh. crossed yeah because robert rodriguez is in it and troublemaker studios is there and danny's worked there a lot so if there's ever a, t a film that I've had that should fit the South by Southwest model, yeah. like the one. we're hoping it's the one. And it's it's a fantastic film. I think it's uh, Brett Harvey's best work to date and my team. And so fingers crossed, but nothing in so South you, by that, Southwest. That's, that's something you produced. Yes. Awesome. And that's the, I always produce. And that's my, the Danny Trejo. He's your director. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Brett. I work with different directors, but Brett's who I work with, I'd say the longest because our first film, The Union Together, we did back in 2004. It released in 2007. We're starting two thousand five, which I saw at Blockbuster. Remember? We yeah, yeah, that, that? yeah, yeah. That was I first, back when yeah, Blockbuster like, existed. Two thousand seven. I was in high school and I saw it at a Blockbuster, and I was like, my parents were not gonna let me get this. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. And then, like seven years later, we become good friends and stay friends for like ten years. It's crazy. Well, as we were talking about when the Culture High campaign, so we did a follow up to that one because the union really hit timing right. You know, you what, and I was talking. Which one's the union about? The union of business behind we, getting high yeah. was my Remember first marijuana doc. Okay, yeah, yeah. we, we watched the trailer. Yeah. Earlier. That was actually the one when we first met Joe Rogan. And I think it was the first time, like, I mean, Joe Rogan now is a giant icon with his podcast. And his yeah, he's the Oprah for dudes. Yeah, 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 no, for real. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. So we talked about that. Let's well, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't picture where the union would be without him because he is one of the most interesting characters. And I think it was the first time that people really saw him outside of where they knew him at that time. Whenever people would see him in the dock, they'd be like, that's the Fear Factor guy. They only knew him from Fear Factor or UFC. And very few people, USC was not what it was. Like you had to be a pretty diehard fan yeah. to know UFC at that time. Yeah. I think they were literally at like UFC 30, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. at that time. In the beginning. Yeah. yeah, it was really early where they weren't on any major networks. It was before their spike deal. It was before any of that. So you got Rogan involved, you hit him up? Or yeah, no, we had a, actually Todd McCormick who was in uh, both the marijuana films. We became good friends with, he's a very well-known activist. And he's like, we knew we had to, and I don't know how we knew this early, but we knew we had to get some celebrity punch to pull people in to see something that wouldn't maybe normally go see a marijuana doc because we were not activists. We were just documentary filmmakers exploring this billion dollar industry in BC and how it became illegal. Uh, I explored some a little bit little, right before the interview. <laughs> did, did <you? laughs> so uh, we knew we had to get something and we couldn't get, I mean, we're nobody's from Canada and we're trying to ask celebrities to do a free interview for a marijuana doc. This is before like, Bieber and Drake. Yeah. yeah. It was. Yeah. It was yeah. So people are like, who the fuck are so you? Canada, they're swearing on here, right? Canada still wasn't like the, the, like the leader in hip hop. Like besides Atlanta, yeah, <laughs> it's fucking Canada, bro. No, but well, plus on. we were nobodies. So like you can just picture a manager getting it like, Okay, and this is long before cannabis. Like, you remember, we did this in 2005 when it was still super taboo. There's yeah. very few celebrities that would even talk about using it. Like, you mm -hmm. had Cheech and Chong and them, but you had a lot of people who were using it closetly in yeah. Hollywood but wouldn't come out. 
Joe was one of the first guys that was like, through Todd, he was like, hey, these guys are really good. They're asking the right questions. They're really professional. I think you should do it. And Joe said, okay. So we like flew down to his house. I remember maxing out my credit cards. I barely had enough to get it all. And we went to his house. We were there for like four hours. Eddie Bravo came over and he's introducing That's us to dope. all these guys. And and Joe, I mean, you've seen the union. He is fantastic. Like, because we have all these doctors and criminologists and law enforcement and all these people. And then you'd have Joe makes, like he does in his podcast, makes such intelligent but relatable points mm -hmm. that you were like, fuck, he's bang on, right? Mm -hmm. But he also would deliver that humor. And this is before, I, I mean, I didn't know he was a comedian at the time. So I think a lot of people saw him in the union for the first time as like, because he was hilarious. That's where his nerf the world thing right. now it was from one of his skits. But he said, he's like, you know, you can abuse cheeseburgers too. We don't go shutting down Burger King just because you can fucking abuse something. Yeah. He's like, I could take a fork and jam out my eyeball. Should yeah. we outlaw forks? Mm -hmm. He's like, I could jump off a bridge. Let's outlaw bridges. Let's nerf the world, right? Yeah. And every time he would come on, he was so engaging and powerful and he would make the audience laugh, right? Where I don't think people had seen him in that way. So, And that was your first? That was our first one, yeah. And the union, you know, we, <laughs> as far as business goes, like we didn't make money. Uh, we barely made enough. In fact, we didn't quite make enough to pay off the investors, which was my dad at the time. Uh, we paid off most of it. He wrote off the last little bit, but uh, <laughs> it really was like our resume or like, I would always compare it as like, okay, it took us four years to do it and learn. And we did festivals. We did 33 international film festivals. It won several awards. It became this cult classic and really hit the industry at the right time. Blockbuster and stuff was still around, so it did get an actual physical deal. It was mm -hmm. in every store in North America, which we sold 40,000 units, which... Independent. Yeah, well, we had a distributor do it. So I have the original email from the president of the company at the time, Phase 4 Films had bought out a company called Peace Arch, and they took the film just because they needed content to fill their, their calendar, and they, they literally have the email saying, I don't see this film having any commercial success, but hopefully you guys can prove me wrong. And we were building up our Facebook page and all this stuff when that was considered like kids stuff. They're like, oh, it's so cute. You have yeah. a Facebook page. We're like, no, but we have thousands of people that are a target audience that sure. are listening to everything we're saying. So we believe, we're like, man, I think it's gonna shock you what you're gonna see. And they're like, okay. And I remember asking their team, like, what would be a success for you? They're like, oh, if we could sell 20,000 units in this film in a lifetime, we'd be tickled pink. We sold 23,000 units in the first quarter. We oh, ended up doing 40,000. So then it became like, you know, the distributor's like, oh fuck, we didn't even put any money up front on this thing and we actually mm. made some money. So then they came on board to do the culture eye and then we also released a Kickstarter campaign, which is where Rob and I first yeah. connected. And I was just saying before we recorded, I don't know if we could hit the internet the same way at the time because the union become this global cult classic. Like if you Google, Right now, if you were to take your phones and Google top 10 marijuana documentaries ever made, the Union and Culture Eye will both be in the top five. Mm. Guarantee you. It's like the, the timing was perfect, right? It was because perfect. It was just, it, it just, we got lucky. Like, I'm, I'm going to say, like, I'd like to say, yeah, we worked hard and we did all that and we made a great film, but it came out at the right time. And it was right when the internet was really becoming, you know, kids were not getting cable. They were in dorm rooms, but this is where streaming could start mm. and they were seeing it online and Facebook was around. So trailers and stuff could spiral and it just hit that wave. And when we did the culture, high we did a kickstarter campaign which at the time was like the fifth it was in the top 10 highest film and video campaigns ever and this is before zach braff or veronica mars did those giant multi-million dollar mm -hmm. ones i'd like to think we had some kind of influence on that where we wrote on the first film being a cult classic and do you guys want to see us do a second one because the only way we can do it is if we get paid this time mm -hmm. so we need you to pre-buy the film to give us the money to do it and we we're asking for a hundred 
120,000, I think we had to get, and we hit 142,000 oh, in 42 God. days. That was like a GoFundMe? Uh, Kickstarter. Oh, Kickstarter. And I was on Kickstarter before you could just go on and log on. You used to have to get an invite. Once you were a Kickstarter member, you used to have to give away seven invites to other creative people you thought would be valuable to use it. Like in the early, early phase. Yeah, in the very first, before crowdfunding had a term, crowdfunding, right? There was Kickstarter mm -hmm. and they were the only ones, right? Go Indiegogo and Rocket Fund and all those ones came mm -hmm. way later. And I remember the way I was, I emailed everyone Kickstarter. I'm like, do you have one of these? And he's like, I've already given them away. So I looked up who were the creators of Facebook and I found out who they were. Yeah, and who I found Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I looked and found out who they were and I found their emails and See, I e this fucking emailed nerd. them. Yeah, that's how I emailed them. So let me ask you, man, before you made your first doc, yep. what, what were you doing prior? I was in uh, New York. I was uh, acting and... I was a fitness model. He was back a model. In the day. Yeah. <laughs> GQ. Now, now, uh, uh, not uh, unless they like are into dad bods. Uh, I wouldn't be too successful. But uh, uh, yeah, I used to. Well, if you start an agency, brother, you let me know. No, yeah. <laughs> He's on well, that well, slow carb. Slow carb diet. Right now, I'm on the Mexico City diet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you go on vacation, you just, it's cheat week. Everything you want. Oh, good. I was on that same thing. I didn't even know. I guess I must be part Mexican. Because I did <laughs> yeah. that this week, too. I was just, my mom made blueberry cheesecake. Eat it. Progies, eat it. I was just, would, those are all low carb, right? No yes. sugar. Yeah, perfect. Ate like them all. Glycemic index. Yeah. What's the uh, glycemic index on a pierogi these yeah. days? <laughs> through the roof. Through the roof. Yeah, Mexico City was dope, man. We had a ball. Have you ever been? Yeah. We just came back. Yeah. I had been a, f a handful of times. She used to go all the time when she was a kid. My mom's from there, so that was okay. our. That's why she speaks that good Spanish. <laughs> like, like we've been, like we'd be in a cab, or an Uber driver, just really around any locals, and they'd be like, "Oh, where are you from? What part of Mexico City are you from?" And then they'd be tell me like, "You have an accent." <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Well, that's Work on it. that's like the the French Canadians in Canada. Whenever they go back to France, people are like, "What do you?" Yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. you can call that French. Like, what kind of bullshit they, yeah, ass they're, French? They're, yeah, they call it franglais, but the Qu the Quebecois get pissed. They're like, no, ours is the traditional shit, right? They're like, yeah, it's really funny. I didn't realize that till I met people who were from France. Like, that's not French. You speak that's, French? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the West Coast, so most people from the West Coast speak about as much Spanish as like the average American. Like they mm. like, you know, more actually, I think more Americans probably speak Spanish than West Coast Canadians can speak French. You take French, like my daughter can speak pretty good French because she was in French immersion for four years. Oh, so like okay. she was even learning her math and everything in French. But then she was starting to fall behind. And because my wife and I don't speak French, like when she's like, dad, I need help with my homework. And I was like, I suck at math to begin with, but math in French is goddamn impossible. <laughs> like I was like, I was like, oh, I do shit. not know. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was like, uh, you need to get out of this school. Like, no, this is you're done. I would be on Google Translator for like two hours oh, to try to figure this wow. out. Pourquoi this news? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm and and this is like grade four. I'm like, I, man, I can't imagine if she got to grade six or seven. I'd be spending my whole day trying to figure out how to do this. You're right, just sweating, like, yeah. sweating. Like, so she. She now like doesn't even try in French at her school, and she can get A's and B's because she's the three the three or four years really help. So oh she's, wow! So she's, it's just like yeah, she's really understands the basic and has a great Canadian French accent, right? She doesn't have. Uh, I mean, if you were talking to traditional, so can she get by or can she can she hold a conversation? She could hold a conversation okay. with Canadian French. I think she probably went to France. She would struggle because right? oh, their okay. French is different, right? So yeah. my ten year old in Mexico City, boy, it was like culture shock for real yeah. even though like she's technically mexican but mexican-american yeah. so you know everything's in spanish and the food is different and 
but she liked it though. So, so she she thinks we have this conversation with her every time. She thinks Gringos or anything like that is Gringos re- Kitchen Restaurant. She oh. thinks that's <laughs> real Mexican food, and I try to explain to her that it's not. It's Mexican American food. You know, it's Tex-Mex. Yeah. So she's like, no, it's not. It's commercial. Yeah. yeah. So then she goes to Mexico City for the first time, and the she's motherland. like, <laughs> what is this? This is not. We, you know, they don't really use flour tortilla in Mexico City. It's more corn tortilla. So to her, it's like, where's the flour tortilla? So. She didn't like the chicken because the chicken was red because it was al pastor chicken. And it Sauces. was like, okay, what's going on? What This is not regular chicken. And it was like, oh, my God. So it was God. a big year. Yeah, she well, tried I, mole. I know even from when I lived here and you have Tex-Mex versus like even like California Mexican. Yeah, exactly. Very different. different. Like queso yeah. there is like this white. They just melt cheese. Queso here is like liquid, orange, and, delicious. Yeah. And I even, like it much yeah. better. You know, it's, it's from Texas, so it's way less healthy yeah, for you, exactly. but it tastes way better. Yeah, and it just depends. Like, it's hard finding. You know, it's crazy, man. Have you been to the food court at Sharpstown Mall or Plaza America? Not in a long time. Did you go when it's, like, authentic Mexico City stuff? Yeah. Man, that should trip me out because... It, it still you is, really, babe. Well, okay, I, I'm just saying back in the day it was Sharpstown and it wasn't like that. Oh, yeah, so yeah, no, no, no. I'm asking if he went since then. Since it became oh, no, not since it was, no, no, no. So we went to Sharpstown, not now. No, okay, now it's not Sharpstown. Now it's Plaza America. Right. And it's fucking legit. Like, there's a Mexican clown show up there. The, <laughs> no, the fucking legit, food court. Really like, it, it's almost like someone scooped in to like Tepito in Mexico City, <laughs> like like the the marketplace, yeah. like the hustler, the street, you know, and scooped it and then dropped it right in the middle of Houston, where generally it is more like Tex-Mex, right. and it's just like a Texas version. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's like a little slice of actual Mexico. Mexico, yeah, That's Mexico funny. City. But we had a ball, man. We had, oh my god, yeah. It was, a, it was a really good time. It was the first time traveling with the baby, too. So that was interesting. Oh, that's always... Ooh. Yeah, and she's only... She said five, five months. Five months. Yeah, that's not fun. She did really well. Did she? Didn't yeah. cry really on the airplane. She slept most of the way. How like, long is that flight? Like, it's just an hour, hour 30 and minutes. Half, oh, man. it was quick. But she did it. She's like a Jeep. Southwest Airlines. I got, I got points. Let's do this. <laughs> um, the hotel questionable only they just fucked up a couple times oh. man mm. um th- there's this badass hotel around the corner we stayed at before called stanza i highly recommend stanza it's yeah. like right in the middle of the night all, everything's just popping and then we were around the corner but they were just slipping like we were trying was to get up. we were trying to get southwest points because they were part of the southwest hotel oh, listing so where you can get more points right so we decided to stay there because let me oh this dip. is gonna give us points you know it wasn't that bad but it could have been better. Hmm. Who do you fly with, Adam? Uh, well, because I'm flying out of Canada mainly, I fly with WestJet most of the time. Who, and I try to collect all the points and try to reach that platinum member. I'm a yeah, goal yeah. trying to get up there because it's it's <laughs> it should, when you travel a lot, like having that, like oh, you got a free upgrade to business class with a bigger seat, and like yeah. you're like oh, that's I always joke because I'll be with my film crew, right? That's why I rack up so many because I put all my productions under there and. They'll come to me and they're like, are you Mr. Scorgey? I'm like, yeah. They're like, ah, we'll give you a free upgrade. And I'm always like, sorry, guys. I can no longer <laughs> sit back with you hooligans up here. And they're like, oh, are you? All oh, my team teases me all the time. They're, they're like, like well, it's been nice. Yeah. Common <laughs> yeah. They're like, are you a gold member? I'm like, uh, almost platinum. Thank you. It's like the bottom. It's like the bottom level of the Titanic where they're down there doing the Irish dance. And yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> no, yeah, but the one thing that is really valuable for us is with all the new baggage fees that all the fucking airlines charge you now is when you're like gold, you get two free. And when you're platinum, you get three. So we travel with like eight for all our film gear, right? And we have oversized and over, we usually have the weight down, but so if we get two or three of us that are, you know, silver and they all get free bags, then it saves us like 
seven, eight hundred bucks each way. Right? How many of y'all travel? Total There's usually like four crew. of us, right, that go. Usually I have our DOP, uh, our director, myself, and then like a line producer and sometimes like our DIT or second camera mm. guy. Um, pretty tight for a doc. I've only added, usually I don't bring the line producer, but uh, I've recently started working with this guy. Uh, Shane Fennessy has been excellent. He's made, it's the only way I've been able to do because last year I've been doing two or three docs in a year where normally I just did one. Right now with the additional ones has made it. So I, if I didn't have someone like him helping to organize, it'd be great. But usually the trips for budget wise, I'd always try to be like, ah, oh, I can't think we can afford you. But after like our first shoot, we were shooting in Toronto and our, our director goes, man, he's like, ah, oh, really neat. I just told Shane, I'm like, Shane, I, you know, I'm not gonna be able to bring you in all these trips, man. I love having you here and you're great, but just, you know, we can't, can't fit it in the budget, I don't think. And then our director goes, man, he's like, I really need Shane here. He's like, no discredit to you, Adam, but Shane just has things like dialed in. <laughs> Everything's so much smoother. I'm like, well, that's fuck, I guess you're coming to everything now. I was like, is that the line producer? Yeah. And like, what is their main role? Line producer or production manager is really the guy that really organizes the day. So when you need to have your location, he's the one that'll find the location and the rate and get it approved by me. And then, you know, making sure it looks good for the director because we do cinematic docs. So so like our director will literally look at 10 different locations like don't like it don't like it don't like it oh i like that back need that right like because it'll have the right whether it's brick or lighting or whatever something to make it and sure. then and then can we get it on the day that works and then does the budget work for us so then sometimes you're kind of restricted on that because when we go in to light something we take two and a half hours to set up the lighting because we're doing two cameras and super dramatic like you know as soon as the guy moves six inches one way he's out of focus on ours like they have to be right kind of mm -hmm. in the wheelhouse so that everything and we usually do we're doing different styles now but we usually do like a profile up and then a really side dramatic shot so that if they get emotional you can see the emotion in their eyes and make and it also makes talking heads a bit more interesting in doc so he'll really organize that he'll help organize travel he'll also reach out to the talent and figure out their schedules and coordinate with our travel plans and i used to do all that but now I mean, again, a little lazy because he does it so well where he's kind of like, boom, 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 boom. I got all these lined up and here's our best travel plan and it's cheapest. And I'm like, okay, good, good work. I'll just book that. Like a, that. a logistical organized. Yeah, they really place. are kind of the manager of the shoot and keeping everybody on time and letting people know. And and uh, like, honestly, now I, I usually would, I've always gone on every shoot, but actually because Shane's so good, I've been able to just say, hey, you oh, take the boys nice. and you go. I would never not nice. go. Because um, usually I, I liked it, but now with my kids getting more in sports and it's kind of tough, I, I like to be around for all their games and stuff. So it's kind of nice having something like, okay, you just go. But I, it's a fine balance because sometimes the talent gets upset, I've realized, which I didn't think I was that special to be on set, but some of the talent actually is kind of like, why is Adam not here? It's like, like a this, trust thing, right? Well, and they're like, does he not take my project seriously? Or right. is he not? And they're like, just, well, no, he's tied up with family. So we came, right? Yeah. So it's a fine balance of where... But I like to go. I, I like what the What if they adventure. were just like CEO shit? <laughs> yeah, that was their reply. CEO shit. Son. CEO shit. Yeah. See, but we got, don't. You got to be here. Yeah, careful. but we don't see. That's the thing with docs where, um, you know, there's definitely me and my team do well, but you don't make a ton. It's not, you know, I, I guess there can be the exception. You could make that one doc that bowling for Columbine or something or Fahrenheit 9-11 does 66 million bucks. But generally they just don't do that. So you really do it for the passion, like with how much work is involved and how hard the team works. Like, you make enough to live and support your families, but you're not you're not getting rich. So you have to really love the subject matter. So I fortunately, knock on wood, I'm doing really loud. I have never had to produce anything that I wasn't really passionate about mm. yet, right? I hope I don't have to. If I did, then that's when I really might kind of sub it off to Shane and just be like, go. Mm. But I, the subject matters I do. Like I love, I, I'm fascinated to go down the rabbit hole with them and learn and 
understand. And even then, all the time when we're doing interviews with like, we'll do an average of 20 to 30 interviews for every doc. I'm listening to every single one. If I'm not, if I'm not doing the interview myself, I'm listening because I want to know the story. It also really helps me when I get into the pitch rooms with Netflix or anyone, they're always like, man, Adam's so passionate and engaged. He knows this, this, this subject matter. I'm like, yeah, because I was actually sitting there listening to every interview. Sure. So I can even talk about things that might not make the film just knowing what they've said in yeah. interviews because I'm listening to them. So I have a, a question rewinding. So you were in New York, you were a model, and mm -hmm. you were acting. So when did you first get started? Like, what led you She's into... like, go back to the model part. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Who do you know? No, no. How can I get in that world? Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you start... What doing made dogs? You, yeah, doing dogs. Like, what led you that direction? I, I went... Uh, I came... My, my biological father fell ill in 2003. And I say that because my stepdad has been around since I was, like, two. So for me, I just have two dads. Yeah. But people will be like, wait, you said one died, and... So my biological father fell ill. I went back to Canada to take over his strip club. We'll, we'll get to questions about that later if you want. And, his, uh, and when I moved back, I saw a whole bunch of people that I went to high school with and I'd known through the bar and that were all really financially doing well now. And I was mm. like, what the fuck? Like, and some of these guys were donkeys. I'll be and honest. you were a struggling actor. And I was a struggling actor. Got and it. I was like, what are these guys like? He has a $50,000 truck. He just bought a boat. He's buying a house. And they're like, oh, he's in the union. I'm like, what fucking union? Because I want to join. And they're like, dude, he grows dope. In BC, it was a major thing. Like they said it was rivaling our biggest. So BC is the province of British Columbia and Canada. Mm -hmm. um, it was rivaling tourism. Like our biggest, like it, huge. They, they were saying anywhere can't remember the exact stats I have to go like four to six billion dollars a year through the illegal marijuana industry because it was being smuggled to the United States uh, this is you know before or just after September 11th that's when the border got a little tighter but then they're also at the time there's 55 cents on the dollar so you know a hundred Canadian was one or a hundred US was 155 Canadian so they wanted to mm. get there they were getting three to four thousand US a pound which translated to like six seven Canadian right which now I think a pound of weed is like 1800 bucks or 1200 wow. bucks has gone way down because of regulation legalization mm. and decriminalization so I really saw these people doing it so I was looking I'd got a little bit inheritance because my my father had passed and I was gonna buy a house which we break down how the system works in BC because I was in the top position of the pyramids of the way the, the BC industry used to work. As you buy a house, I'd let a grower come live in the basement. He'd keep all the maintenance and upkeep of my house, plus he'd give me a percentage of the grow, right? And he'd pay a full year of mortgage in advance, right? Oh, so that I would wow. turn. So a lot of guys were, and it's very hard for the courts to prove that I'd be involved, right? Because I'd get it cash. I just have them pay the mortgage in advance on paper. So even if they said, hey, you were letting him grow in your house, I'd be like, I fucking live in New York, right? Uh, I can't keep track. So your property's increasing in value. Kelowna's a super- Your honor, he's a squatter. <laughs> yeah, I've never <laughs> seen this man before. <laughs> well, it, yeah, so you, you, I looked at being like, man, and I, had, I knew tons of guys through the bar that were doing it. And they're like, yeah, they're like, Adam, we'll do everything. We'll give you this much money every three to four months. When we crop out, we'll pay your mortgage in advance so that that way you're building equity in your home. And after two or three years of being in there, We'll shut it down. We'll replace your basement. We'll do all this stuff and make sure it's you know crystal clean and ready to go and you can sell it. So you're like, shit, I could pay off my whole house mortgage within yeah. three to four years, own the house. Plus, Kelowna Real Estate, it's like Lake Tahoe is just blowing up. Like every yeah. year it was going up by like 30%. So you're gaining. So I was like, shit, I'm going to do that. So I actually started looking at houses 
And then realtors, like they knew exactly what I was looking for. They'd be like, oh, I just want to point out you got extra amperage on this block. And I'd be like, yeah. and we were trying to be like, we didn't want people to know where yeah, I'm like, yeah, why yeah. the hell would you point that out? He's like, just saying, you keep looking for houses that have like no neighbors, buy level, like yeah. lots of like, yeah. like if you and notice. then finally, like he said, he's like, look, Adam, he's like, I sell so many houses to growers. I literally wanted to put on my real estate card. If you're growing, I'm showing. Ah, right? like, that's dope. Because it's, but, but that's where you really saw how much of the BC economy lived on this illegal market although their jobs are not illegal he's like it's not illegal for me to sell you a house you grow in that's what you do with it right then the electricians that come set up the grow houses they yeah. get paid cash they love it they yeah, get like yeah, 10 yeah. Like, it's not illegal for me to take payment in cash i don't care what you're doing i'm just setting up the electrical to make sure you pass right. city code right He's like, and then like the water purifiers and then even- For all I know, you're growing tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. and then yeah. even even the banks and everything were like, oh, as long as you're depositing under $10,000, you know, several times a week, then you don't have to fill out any forms, right? Oh, you sold another motorbike? Perfect. Oh, you sold this? Like, great. So I, I really felt my dad's conscience looking down on me and I'd never broken the law in that way before and I decided against it. But this is right when the height of documentaries were really big, like Super Size Me had come out and- you know, so you didn't buy the house? No, I didn't end up buying a house. It's I didn't get into that did the business. Canadian Ozark. <laughs> yeah, no. So then I I decided to to do the poor man thing and make a film that took. We thought it'd be done in like six to eight months. Took four fucking years to release <laughs> and like barely made any money. But it really built my career. And that four years was my degree to understand how to make films and how to make wow. a great doc. So I learned, like, looking back now, it was great to learn all the trials and tribulations of, like, man, I couldn't make this. It was winning awards, and it was winning festivals, and it was this cult classic, but it still didn't make money. And then it took me a few more years to really learn how to make it a viable business. And now, with the Canadian tax credits and the way our dollar is, there's a way to make it a really viable business. So Doc's actually... The way docs have never been more popular now with the way Netflix evolved and streaming sites and stuff like that. I'm sure like everyone I talk Even to. Even those ESP, is it ESP? 30 for 30. 30 for 30. Those yeah. motherfuckers are dope too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well those are, I just, so one of the docs I just finished on was a Canadian sprinter, Donovan Bailey, um, who came after Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson is who beat Carl Lewis, but then tested mm -hmm. positive for steroids. Mm -hmm. Donovan Bailey's who brought the Canadian, you know, sprinting back when he won in 96 in Atlanta. Uh, and then he had that famous race against Michael Johnson who is actually he's here in Texas now. His, really? I think he's down in San Antonio. Um, yeah, he'd won the 200 and 400. And it was the first year ever because it seemed to us Canadians that America was upset that a Canadian was you know, named the fastest man in the world because he set the world record again, Donovan Bailey. And Donovan Bailey started later than any other runner ever. He started at 26 years old Damn. to compete. Com ran in Atlanta, set the world record. So, But all the magazines were saying like ESPN, you know, when you looked at Sports Illustrated, it had Michael Johnson on the cover because he had set two world records in the 402 and everybody's like, fastest man on the planet. And they're like, for 100 years, it's been the 100-meter the winner. All of a sudden, it's now the 200-meter winner. Mm. And then Bob Costas yeah. uh, they had said, well, if you halved Michael Johnson's 200, it'd be faster than Donovan Bailey's world record. So there could be an argument that he is the fastest man. So Canada actually organized, like, we got to see, like, a, a, pink, foot race. Yeah. a pink slip race between <laughs> the two racers. And what they did is because Michael did the 200 and Donovan did the 100, they did a 150 right in toronto and it was at the time the largest canadian viewed sporting event in history till gsp beat it um and, That's crazy. Yeah, and he sold out the sky dome with fifty five thousand people to watch a 30 second event <laughs> a fucking race like a foot race. but we did that where i brought that up is we brought that up uh because that was done through tsn 
uh, and Bell Media through their version of Canadian. It's Canada's version of 30 for 30. It's called TSN Engraved on a Nation. They had to be in Canadian. So you did bar. a doc on Donovan Bailey. Yeah. Just finished that one. That'll be releasing. It'll be on TSN and Bell. I'm not even supposed to be announcing, but. Hey, hey man, this, we, this is world premieres. Yeah. Yeah. That's all yeah. we do. <laughs> like one of, one of my catchphrases <laughs> is, remember where you heard it first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like even the A's. Well, you heard it first. It's called yeah. the Bailey Experience. It'll be premiering in Canada. We haven't sold the U.S. rights yet, so we're going to see how that pan out, but uh, it'll be releasing in the new year. So. Are you taking anything to Sundance this year? I am taking all kinds of stuff to sell, but I don't have anything in the festival. Okay. Sundance is a bucket list for me. It's incredibly tough to get in. Super political with these festivals that, uh, uh, I, I mean, it's my favorite festival because I, to me, out of all the markets I go to, it has one of the smallest egos because it's on a ski hill. So you'll see celebrities in like toques and winter jackets and boots, right? And you're like, damn. And it's a, like Park City is only yeah. 7,000 people. I so saw Lil like, John out there. For real? Yeah. yeah. They had like Wiz Khalifa out there the year I went. Oh, I yeah. was in a film that uh, went to Sundance. And um, congrats, man. That's yeah, thank a, you. Yeah, one of, the, one of the, my little stories is I, I packed like a scarf and all types of shit. And, like yeah. I'm going to layer up. Yeah. But I didn't have like a coat coat. I had, you know. It's a heavy jacket <laughs> layered over some shit. Well, long story short, uh, Edward James almost he had this like fucking for real coat that was given to I guess producers and directors of the Sundance thing, and um, it had like a little commemorative patch on it. And he's like, hey. he, he gave it to me. He's like, hey, hey come here, kid. It was like a scene out of American Me and shit. Like I was, like I was gonna be in his game now. <laughs> but uh, I think it's in, you're I like you, you Houston kids don't know how this yeah, works. Here's yeah, a real jacket. Here's your patch. Hey, Snow right? Angel. Right. Yeah. I was right. doing a spring cleaning, and so I was like, okay, what about this big old? It's like it's fucking huge, big, dude. It's huge. And I'm like, what about this big <laughs> What's jacket? What's this fucking sleeping bag? He's like, shit. he's like, no, 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 no. Edward James always give that to me. Stop. Like, EJ you know, keep okay. it back. Yeah. gifted me that. He's like, keep it. He's like, no, no, no. We can't get rid of it. I was like, entrusted me. But so it, you know, so so Main Street there is a black like it's and everything's on essentially two streets in Park City and in the regular season it's only got seven thousand people but during Sundance it has like thirty. Oh shit! It's actually if you want to ski, it's like the best time to go because everybody's there for the film festival and none of the look they they don't want to go <laughs> skiing because it, ski hills dead. There's times you drive by you're like, is it even open today? Oh wow! Because nobody's on the hill. They're all there for the market. But it's it, I I love Sundance. I I've submitted several times. I I didn't understand how to purchase the tickets. There was way too many options. Oh, it's impossible. It was like like uh, to, to actually see the movies. No, 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 no. Just to kind well, of to go into the, the festival. Stuff, well, you know. to attend. It I mean, you like, can go yeah, to the yeah. bars and stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. That. You don't need to if you want to. It's to go view movies. Yeah. So the movies. It's funny because the first time you go, like we're so excited. And actually, Alex Gibney was doing the uh, Going Clear was premiering. One oh, of the first shit. years we were there. And I wanted to go as like a dime. Like, oh, and I saw Alex Gibney in like the thing. And I like geek out, but I'm kind of like, oh, it's, you know, someone I look up to, you know, like Oscar winner, two-time Oscar nominee, uh, documentarian. documentarian. Um, so I wanted to go see his film. And you go to the box office and I'm like, ah, Going Clear. And they're like, no, sold out. We're like, ah, this one, sold out. This one, like we did it like six times and they're like, no, sold out. I'm like, what isn't sold out? They're like these two. I'm like, why would you let me just keep guessing? Like, why wouldn't you just say these are the only two films that have tickets rather than me keep going like this and look like an idiot. Sure. But one of my good buddies, Scotty, he come like he is loves Sundance. In fact, this year after we go home, we're only staying for a week. His girlfriend's going to fly down. They rented a place. They're going to stay the other week because the first week is when it's a gong show and all the technology is trying to advertise and like the new film market, even like Uber did its worldwide mm. launch at Sundance, right? So that 
all the celebrities would be talking about people. it. Oh yeah, would be talking about it. Genius. They all marketing. that first week is when it's crazy when you guys are there. Like it opens on the twenty fourth, yeah. and then the twenty fifth weekend is when it gets crazy. And then after that, the the other week is when you get more the indie filmmakers and everybody's like all the buyers come for like the first three or four days and then they're gone. Like Netflix and Showtime and Amazon, mm. they're all there. Second week, half of them are there. A lot of them leave after the. So it's it's definitely a bucket list for me. I don't have anything in there, but my family built just a beautiful place there seven years ago. So I go every year. Yeah, yeah. I plan on making a shirt that says "They Can't Deport Us All," yeah. and then the little Netflix logo up under it. Just just <laughs> that's gonna be like my icebreaker calling card. <laughs> like, hey, what is Netflix? Like? Yeah, yeah. I start googling. It's like, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I'm gonna start conversations. Like, no, you should make the Netflix logo bigger. Yeah, though. big as fuck. So, yeah. 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 you should have it go across like this, yeah. and just with your face above it. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm gonna put on it real big, like. I aim to usher in the brown invasion um, to Netflix <laughs> with like, call me, call let's me. do business. All your, all your, all your, uh, I'm the brown guy. Right here. <laughs> I'm one of the few brown people on Netflix. No, that shit's fucking crazy. Dude, we saw Bird Box. Oh, what the yeah. Fuck? yeah. Have you seen that oh, shit? Oh, yeah. We watched it, I think. Uh, What'd y'all think? I really liked it. I, I liked it, but I, I thought I needed it was more answers. Yeah, yeah that ending was you. terrible. The ending was terrible. terrible. But you need, yeah. but that's, see, but then if what? you give too many answers, then they're saying that you're dumbing down the audience. Right? I, from a filmmaker's perspective, I understand what they're okay. trying to do there. So, right? so when you say answers, do you feel like it didn't resolve properly? Like the story didn't end? It enough? didn't wrap up in a nice, neat package. Like I, to I me, it, it was did. It's like, oh, blind people. You know what I'm saying? They got that little, uh, what is that little forum? Hacienda? What do you call that little thing? It was atrium, like the atrium. The little atrium with the birds. Right. And mm -hmm. I get it. The birds are there. The doctor, her, her obstetrician right. was there. And to me, it wrapped up nicely. What about the mental health people that, that, that were like, they saw, but they were still kind of alive? Oh, no, see, what I had but got. But he shot him. Remember Tom shot right. him? No, but you see, what I had got with those people is that whatever the creatures were, it figured out that you know, people are going to stop. So there were certain people that they could hoodwink to help them almost like, mm. you know, like devout disciples, right. That they could go. be like, yeah. Hey, get I you. I thought it was going to be a religious thing. Cause you notice the first one was when they were in like the supermarket and these yeah. memories like, help me, help me. They got everybody here. And they're yeah. like, how did you Fish get fingers. out of there? Right. And then as soon as he opened it and he pulled, what's his name in, he got the uh, uh, spoiler alert. All oh, right. I know we're spoiler. Well, I won't say what character, but then there's one that, but then right when they close the door, he starts saying the same line again. Yeah. Let me in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't get through. Yeah. Dude, that was so because like, yeah. that was her way of. But I did find it was very similar to the Quiet Place. Just only Quiet Place was based on sound, oh, and Bird yeah. Box was based totally. on vision. Totally, yeah, yeah. Right, well, yeah. but Quiet Place at least let you see the creatures a little bit, yeah. right? But it was. I but like there's it. only like here's the thing when I when I when I because everyone there like the audience is way more intelligent than they were 10, 20 years ago. Like, they all read Save you, the Cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you you watch old movies that I grew up on and I loved, and it was like. You know, like Masters in the Universe with Dolph Lundgren, cheesy, but I loved it because I liked Skeletor, bad guy, wants yeah. to take over the world. Right, right. Like He-Man, good guy. Like it was simple like that, right? You didn't have to Skeletor's grand plan, I want to take over the world. You even seen the new Avengers, like Thanos has this deep plan of like, look, there's a finite resource right. of the galaxy. Like you almost side with him a little bit. Like you're almost like, yeah, it's not so black and white. Yeah. Like he's crazy, but I understand where he's coming from. Like they have to be so it's complex like, like now. Where when I grew up, it was just like fucking bad guy. Like yeah, you just be exactly. like drug dealers. Okay. The cops like need Eddie Murphy needs to stop the drug dealers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like Charles Bronson. He's yeah. Kill these motherfuckers. yeah. Yeah. That's it. It was simple. What'd you think of it? Jingo? I liked it, man. Uh, of course, the nerd side of me is like, oh, this is, what I'll tell you, son? This is an example of monster in the house type of from Save the Cat. Yeah. This is a monster in the house, except the house is 
the fucking world, right? And then I thought it was cool. Do you cool. see why I hate watching movies with him now? He breaks it all down. Yeah. Like, oh, so, now that's how I watch movies. Yeah. It's like, Or like, oh. I'll be like, bad guys, bad guys closing in. At yeah. the end when she's making it yeah. through the rapids and all that. Yeah. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly was in it. He got him some, some coochie in the sure movie. Did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he like wanted only a few people to got some coochie at the end yeah, of the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has to be in there though, right? Yeah, like course. a couple that falls in love because they're the last and one. Then he, you know? Well, you see, well, then you go to like the traditional horror movie where it used to be like nudity, no name actors. Yeah. The slasher guy, and like usually, like if you go to like the the Friday the Thirteenth movies, it was always like they're making out. Yeah, can't you hear that shit? Like yeah. he's coming. You're, of course, if you're a dude, you're like they don't hear shit, yeah. man. He's about to get some. It's yeah. like a, yeah. like the killer could be right behind him. Uh, but that was like the class, so, and you'll have people follow that certain genre, right? So horrors are one of the few now or thrillers where. I mean, they brought Sandra Bullock because they wanted that name, but you could have really had anybody there. I think it was sci-fi to me. It reminded me of like, have you seen, uh, what is it? No Children of Men or Children of Men? Nuh-uh. It's like in the future where I guess yeah, everybody with Clive becomes, Owen. they become infertile yeah, or yeah, some yeah, shit, yeah, but yeah. it's like obviously had like a little bit of that zombie type of vibe, like, end like of the Walking world. Dead. Like 28 Days, dead, like yeah. a virus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I Am Legend, Yeah. 28 yeah. Days Later. That's in my mind. It was like some Black Mirror shit. So how many stars out of five? I give it four. I really liked it. Yeah, I, I give it four, four too. Four. It was good. I agree. I yeah, it. yeah. I liked it. My sister-in-law. I'm I'm an easy critic though because I'm on the other side. I fucking hate critics as it is. Because yeah. like, here's my point with critics, and I I used to engage them early on in my career because you just have someone go online and they just spit venom about your film that your team just busted, especially with docs. Like yeah. we spend like two years of our life, we kill ourselves to try to, we do everything to try to make it good. And then someone just says, ah, fucking suck this and that. I'm like, but they've never even made a short film. So they don't understand the challenges of trying to make a story. So for docs, our business, you're trying to make something that you're going to learn something from, that you're going to have an emotional connection. But at the end of the day, it's still entertainment. So you need to. That's why some people will be like in the culture, like, why'd they put in people like Wiz Khalifa and Snoop Dogg? I'm like, because some people will tune in just, just to watch yeah. them yeah. and they're in it for a total all of them for less than two minutes and right so now you've got 20 minutes of the doctors and criminologists and everybody that are really going to educate you on the corruptions of the drug war but you got those people to bring you in right. so when you'd get critiques like this i'm like see if you had actually ever fucking made anything or contributed anything to the film industry you would understand that but because you're somehow got some kind of power you are some writer and even now i say that with air quotes here and then for people who can't watch a writer and like people that qualify writers for even big respected news agencies a lot of them are a joke nowadays because yeah. you're seeing with you know as much as donald trump says fake news there is a lot of bullshit yeah, out there yeah, and there yeah. is a lot of clickbait and and the movie yeah. critics are no word like cisco and ebert when they started those are really the first two like critics you knew they came from the film industry they'd made stuff they were producers they'd been in the industry they'd watched they'd worked in the arts now you got guys that i don't even know how they're qualified as some and they can go on and rip your film which like for indie guys like us can detour they have thousands of followers can, can detour people from going to watching it and literally taking money out of my family's mouth and i'm like this fucking guy's never made anything he's yeah. never contributed anything to the industry all he does is go and shit on films that he doesn't like or he or she which and what is, do they judge it based what what is that's their, the thing it's subjective there like a, no you know like a uh, it's okay, opinion did it have this did it have that purely subjective like it's do opinion. you like country music do you like rap music i don't like this country artist because his voice doesn't connect with me that's essentially so what ninety percent of crime or anything. But they can be with a major outlet that can rip your film, and then it prevents it from going to award ceremonies. But, and all. So, but, like, I have a major issue with critics. I think they're. I, I think word of mouth though 
cancels all that. See, yeah. and that's what's interesting. So if you look at all the films, for instance, that director Brett Harvey's done, right? The Union, uh, Culture High, Ice Guardians, none of them are below like an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes for the audience reviews mm. or below a 7.4 on IMDb. Those are what I go by because yeah. that's hundreds of people from all walks yeah. putting in their point versus one critic. Yet you'll see certain critics totally rip and a lot of them have a political agenda that they don't like is brought up in the film, right? Like we did pot films, which really talked about the corruption of the drug war and, you know, the, the incarceration of, you know, Mexican, Latino community and black community versus the white community, like things that people don't want to hear. So then people are like, fuck that film. I didn't yeah. like their stats, yeah. right? So they rip it basically because they didn't like what they didn't hear. It didn't support their opinion, narrative. right? So their narrative, right? Yeah. So it wasn't from a news site that they go to all the time. So a lot of you will rip your film purely on that. So I, I, think that, yeah. I think that's why Narcos is popping too because they speak of the realities and people be like, I knew the government was fucking the yeah. one slanging dope. Because yeah. you sound like, um, like in, in college I had this sociology class and you know the lady, obviously she's very, um, the teacher was very like, I guess liberal as fuck, like a hippie. Yeah. So she would give us the definition of a gang, like you know, it's this, 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 and this. She would be like, can anyone tell me uh, what's the largest gang in America? And I raised my hand. She was like, uh-huh, Pedro. Like, police she's like correct and she like <laughs> yeah, right yeah, and the yeah. whole class you know mostly white and they, yeah, practice, they were mad mostly, right? they were like what yeah. how can you say that she's like by definition and then one time she she made us do a survey and it had a list of drugs and it said rate it one two three would never try have tried or are willing to try and she's like oh i see a lot of y'all have either tried cocaine or are willing to try cocaine <laughs> and all of y'all are afraid of crack and then she said pharmaceutically chemically it's the same thing and i and she just looks at me and gives me the like that i'm like yeah the favorite student the militant yeah. narco i mean conspiracy I'm yeah. finished, i'm finished finished season two but season one was so brilliantly done where it was They'd show like documentary. It was documentary style. Like you'd show the real Pablo mm -hmm. Escobar. Yeah. And then they would just go right into the character. Yeah. And normally you it. can never do that, but they did it so seamlessly that you're like, and to me, what was so fascinating about Narcos, the point that hit home to me the most is how when the US government was looking for funding, being like, dude, this guy is making more money than anyone we've ever seen. And like, oh, fuck the drug problem. And it wasn't till Noriega, when he'd stopped in that one place that, they're like, no, but he's he's getting support from the communists. Then the government was like, oh, we got to put a stop to this fucking yeah, drug. Yeah. War on Had drugs. nothing to do with the war on drugs. It was that he was possibly working with commies and supporting yeah. the communists saying, and that was what, they're like, that's it, $100 million the next day. Damn. Right, if you watch, that is the biggest, and the photo with him and Noriega is essentially what took him down and then prevented him, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen it, and then what prevented him from becoming the fucking uh, prime minister or president of his country was that one... Talking about Escobar? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was that one fucking photo that he didn't get the, the negative from the photographer that went... Remember, he was paying those people to go... He was paying the cops to be able to traffic. And then one cop wanted to actually nail him because they wanted to increase... Yeah, home. yeah. Only because they wanted to get more money. Not because they wanted to do any yeah. the righteous thing. And when he took that famous... Um, what do you call it? Your fucking mugshot yeah. where he's smiling because he's like, I'm going to be in here for like 10 minutes, yeah, yeah. you stupid fuck. I'm but the photographer, the, they forgot to get rid of the negative that the photographer originally had. And when that got really, because he was winning all the public yeah, vote, like yeah. he was going to become. Well, people loved him. Yeah. Well, because he actually gave, 
with the all the bad things he did, he was actually giving back to the people. Yeah. He was building communities. Like there was 1,500 homeless people and he built the Pablo Escobar Villa so the homeless people had somewhere to live. Like he was actually saying, you guys keep funneling money out of the country. I'm going to bring it here. Yeah. I'm by no means saying he was a good man. Well, but, he was, but he was winning the people because he was fighting for them. Whereas yeah. the politicians were fighting okay. to negotiate and they were living in palaces where everybody was poor and out of work. So he, and he would literally go to rallies too and just throw money, right? <laughs> like, he had so much money. You got in, I forget the exact numbers, but it was something ludicrous. Like he was making billions a month cash it's like those are Kylie Jenner numbers. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, like way like, cash, non-tax. Yeah, yeah. Like he's making, we're so he was making so, like people are still finding like burials of like twenty five million dollars. Damn, they, they they lost they lost ten to fifteen percent. I know this from his brother's book because I've looked at maybe doing a doc on this, but I think there's so much out there now it can't be done. But they lose ten to fifteen percent of their money from rats eating it and forgetting where they buried it. Because they had such a hard time with so physical much. money. They would just be like, okay, bury 10 million over there. And this is before GPS and stuff, right? So they'd be like, shit, was it 10 steps from that tree or this tree, right? Where, so yeah, they, but rats eating it because they would bury it in place and the rats would get in and bury it and they'd lose Fuck. millions of dollars from rats eating their money. Wow. I guess I should watch it. I haven't watched it. Oh, have, you, have y'all seen the Narcos Mexico? I've been watching part. I'm like, I'm like three or four episodes in the second season. No, no. Yeah, yeah man. It's good. Yeah. Rob, you slipping, bro. I know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to wonder about Rob. You had all this time off, bro. We have vacation time. <laughs> kids, man. More kids. importantly, have you guys seen Ice Guardians? Yeah. You better have seen yeah, that yeah, one yeah, by yeah. now. Otherwise, it, we'd yes. be, otherwise, we'd be fighting stand-up uh, only because jujitsu. I got no skills. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. What's, what's so, your... Yeah, tell go, us, go, go ahead. ahead. I was no, just going to ask about Ice Guardians. Oh, yeah. Well, Ice Guardians is all about the history and role of enforcers in hockey or the fighters and how fighting started in hockey and how... It, it kind of organically came out behaviorally because your human instincts to protect itself are heightened because you're on a foreign surface. You're traveling so fast with razor blades and armor on and you're in an enclosed area at speeds of 30, 35 miles an hour getting crunched that you get hit and your instinct is to fight and protect itself, right? Mm -hmm. So fighting had been in hockey since the beginning and now with concussions and the speed of the game and technology, things are quickly evolving and rule changes changed how the enforcers molded and went through time. Um, but it's it's a really interesting look on a subject matter that often, like everything else Brett had done, isn't black or white. There's some gray in there that, you know, offering protection would sometimes, you know, a lot of the superstar players would say that it would protect their careers because Wayne Gretzky, who played in a time when the helmets were a joke, they were like paper thin and they had no face masks, like, Gretzky also, you know, pucks weren't traveling as fast and the game wasn't as fast, but he never had any concussion problems, right? Because he had two stone cold killers ride shotgun with him all the time. And if you hit Gretzky or you did anything outside of, you know, just rubbing him off the puck, you had to deal with Dave Semenko or Marty McSorley. I mean, they're going to fuck you up. And human instinct, generally, if you know that there's a trained killer going to hurt you if you go out of line, it makes people you know, calm their game down in a game that's very heightened and very dangerous, right? So the way that I heard it put best and it didn't make the film, but we have an analogy that, you know, when you're driving your car right now, any, any human being in North America or the world and you see a cop on the side, what do you do? Slow down. down. Slow down, check your seatbelt, 10 and two, mm -hmm. like you get yourself. Yeah. So same thing if you knew there was a policeman on the ice protecting your team, yeah. eat right? the weed. <laughs> <laughs> eat all of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
if you knew that you had a guy like that, that his sole purpose is to protect your star players because your star players are, in essence, who bring all the money to your organization. They're the ones that everybody pays to see. Sure. Jersey sales. You yeah. will Merch, think about like, yeah. hey, can I, maybe I could run this guy out on the boards, but oh shit, Semenko's over. You know what? I'll just play the puck and I'll hold him on the boards, right? So it's an interesting dynamic. The argument comes in every year, should they get rid of fighting? Because obviously like, you know, your bare knuckle, no way class on razor blades. And some of these guys in the heyday of the enforcers, like the late 80s, early 90s, man, they were fighting sometimes two to three times a game, 20, 30 times a year, bare knuckle, no way class. Like you look at pro fighters, they fight two to three times a year. Maybe cowboy fights like five. Yeah, this is right. crazy. He fights every second week, it seems. But some of these guys were fighting two to three times a week, right? Bare knuckle, no way class. So a lot of these guys are suffering now from head trauma and everything else. But, CTE, everyone. Yeah, CTE. But the thing that is brought up in the film is that most guys that have retired because of concussion problems, it's less than 10% that have retired from fighting. The big element that isn't talked is your guys are just so much faster with the technology now and the equipment is so much bigger that concussions are coming from body checks. Like the game is way faster than it was in the 60s and 70s and they've got rid of the two line passes. So even a clean check that doesn't target the head that hits you square in the chest can give you a massive concussion that can end your career. Wow. So until you address that. So the interesting thing, we weren't able to bring it up in the film because it didn't fit, but like my daughter plays girls hockey. Girls NCAA hockey has neck and neck concussion ratio with NCAA football. Damn. Now in women's hockey, here's the kicker. There's no hitting. So mm. you're like, how the hell is From there the so checking? many concussions? There's no checking. So then how are they getting it? Because it's just so fast and the you're incidental like contact, in, uh, right? And what they've seen with concussions is it doesn't even take a headshot. If you get hit in the stomach, they, we explain this in, in Ice Guardians from a concussion specialist. So say my thumbs uh, are your, your heads and the two of us don't make any head contact, but just our bodies go, but our brains rattle. Just the rattling is what causes. That's why even a lot of people in car accidents, they're mm -hmm. like, well, I didn't hit the dash. You don't need to. If your head snaps, mm -hmm. that can give you, your brain can still rattle from back to front and give Makes you a concussion. Yeah. Well, it's like soccer when you head the ball. Yeah. Or even just, just, head, just head butting the ball it causes yeah. a lot of rattling of the brain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. rattling. So, yeah. so it's one of those things where it's like, man, as much as football and everybody's trying to do, like the only way, like you have to drastically reduce equipment is one in hockey. Cause now we talk about this. I'll like, all the concussion specialists say the elbow pads now are weapons. The shoulder pads are weapons. Like Damn. they used to just be padding. And if you wanted to be a, like a physical forward and do body checking to be that kind of a player, it hurt to hit people because you only had like thin padding to protect your shoulder. Now they have these <clears throat> armor casing. They look like the Legion of Doom from WWS <laughs> and, and they can fly into people 10 to 15 miles faster than they could back in the day with the new skate technology and the athleticism. So you can crash into guys and guys are getting concussions all like uh you guys would know but kyle uh opozo who's a, a player in buffalo he had a major concussion from practice just from he was turning around and him and a teammate just collided and just hit funny and to where he didn't remember his family and stuff Damn. like that like, wow so i don't know how you you know you curb that other than really slowing nerf, down nerf the, the world yeah nerf, nerf the, the world. world so you either you got to understand the risk you know and the argument that we bring up in the film like the concussion specialist said hey even if the fighting only causes five to 10% of the concussions, if we can just eliminate that, yeah. perfect. Well, we've reduced it by five to 10%. But, you know, the argument from other players is like, look, knowing that there's a nuclear deterrent protecting your teammates prevents them from running them with clean, even if they're clean. Like it can be a totally clean hit where there's no penalty. 
some guys just knowing that you might have to drop the gloves with this guy that's going to try to pound your face in will deter you from reckless abandon, right? So where can we watch Ice Guardian? It's on Netflix worldwide. It's in 75 countries and 15 different languages. So you can tune in there. And even if you're not a hockey fan, because I, I don't think you'd no, watch no. for No, no. I don't appreciate hockey the way I think I should, but yeah. it's still a good doc. Yeah. It's, um, it'll... I had a soccer coach who played hockey. And so um, this is so dumb, but... <laughs> In order to earn uh, Letterman jacket points yeah. for your patch, he'd yeah. make you go watch his, his <laughs> games. So we ended up having to always go watch his hockey games so that we can get points for our Letterman jackets. That's, that's real You know what? That's but... brutal that he makes you watch his games. Yeah, At least you should be like, hey, tune into the NHL no, game on yeah. Friday no, so you can like, watch his yeah, game. So it was that, his game. That sounds Like his men's yeah. beer league one. Like, come so, watch me skate. It does sound inappropriate. Slightly inappropriate. Slightly. So it was like a bunch of us girls and we would go, you know, support our, our soccer ego. coach, yeah, you know, ego. and it was kind of like, cool. He's like, know? I've got my own cheerleading squad. <laughs> yeah. Where where was it? Here in Houston? Here in Houston, uh, yeah. Coach Brown. So yeah. well, That's cool. Was yeah. he Canadian originally or is he from the U.S.? No, he's from the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's from Texas, but it was just like a local league that they had here, yeah, and he yeah. played. And it was, in, in, and there wasn't a lot of people there, so that's that's possibly why he he'd had yeah, us go. Yeah. You know, shout out creepy coach Brown. Yeah. No, he was cool. He was cool, and his wife like. That was the, his wife was like this really cute blonde girl, and her boobs were like this big. She was the lead cheerleader. Okay. He would uh, he would actually take us. His parents had a lake house, and he would take the entire team. And we would uh, all also go. inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. We would all go, and his wife would go, right? And she was just really pretty. And we would just kind of all stare. But she wore like the Brazilian type bathing suits, oh, you sure. know, where it was just covering a little that, tea bag. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, it was just like we were all like, okay, well, we yeah. got these granny, uh, <laughs> granny bathing suits on compared to her. You Man, know? so this coach was a pimp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah, I mean, I got all these. He wasn't that great looking either. He was kind of bald. I, I will t- I tell you, there's the, the hockey players' wives, man. They're most of them are pretty spectacular. I've yeah, got to, I've got to work with a lot yeah. of NHL. Carrie Underwood is so. married to a what's yeah. his face? Yeah, he yeah. is. Uh, uh, to uh, Fisher, Mike yeah, Fisher. Mike Fisher. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. How, how do you how do you decide what you're going to do a documentary on? Like, is it because of your interest or like someone brings it to your attention? That's a great question, dude. Yeah, you have so many different type of projects. Yeah, you do. It's changed for me recently. My my team and I used to kind of come up with a concept. Ice Guardians came because I went to school with a lot of these legendary got enforcers, okay. right? So I really saw what they were going through, and they got me into hockey. I thought this whole dynamic of like self policing and everything was just fascinating within a sport. It's the only sport that does it, right? Mm-hmm. No other. Well, you could argue I learned because. I'm not a big football fan when I watch the blind side that the left tackle became such an important player to protect the quarterback. Like right. very human instincts, as much as we try to deny them are still there. Right. So ice guarding that the uh, also Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the union, as I said, I looked at getting into the business. So then I saw there's this fascinating world operating and this was the heyday of doc. So I was like, why don't I take what I was learning in New York and apply it? So but, do you do the research for all of it or do you have, it's a combination, okay. but I would say mainly the directors do Got it. Like okay. I, I can't take that from Brett Harvey. He does most of that and puts it. I help bring the money and, okay. and do that part. That's my part now is knowing how to sell it to the market. So now really what I'm looking for is if it like now we're in a fortunate position where like these icons that I grew up are starting to like, they seen my team's work. So we recently just did Grant Fuhrer, who's the first black um, uh, goaltender or first black player in the NHL to win a Stanley Cup and first black player to be inducted into the NHL Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. 
and I'm a diehard Oilers fan and he won his five Stanley Cups with the Oilers. So like when this opportunity came up, I was like, hell yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Right. Like, and this is on under your production company. Yeah. I have my own production company. And then we'll, what I'll do is I'll usually, once we have the concept, we create a pitch book and like a budget and I'll put all that together. And then I'll go take it out to the market and try to pre-sell it. And then we'll interim finance the pre-sales. Cause what the film industry does is like Netflix, even if you're like, okay, they love your project. We want to do this documentary. They don't just give you a million dollars because then you can get some shady producer like, peace out. I'm going to fucking Mexico. I'm out. Yeah, right? yeah, you can't yeah, get yeah. me. Like, so what they do is they say, we'll give you like 10% now. We'll give you 40% once you deliver. And then after it's run for so much, we'll give you the remainder. So sure. then the producer then puts him on the hook to be like, okay, well, I have to go secure the interim financing while we're in production. So we have cash flow, and then it'll come in, you know, during principal photography, post-production. So recently what's been happening is a lot of great people. We have a great team and you know, I, uh, a lot of people have been coming to me saying, look, we saw what you did here. We want to see you do it here. And so that's how Bisbing came to me. We're doing Michael Bisbing's doc right now. UFC champion, first British UFC champion is that some friends of mine, uh, Gabriel and Yoss had, they'd seen, they'd been to premieres of several of my other docs and they'd worked with Bisbing on a virtual, uh, VR project. And they're like, man, what about Bisbing? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. To, like, I know him. Right. And I've seen, but then looking at his career, like first, you know, UK champion, he was on the ultimate fighter season three, used to fight as a heavyweight, had some of the most brutal knockouts in UFC history and was able to come back. Like where most guys, I mean, you saw it re there's been tons of fighters that when they get beat once, Ronda Rousey, yeah. never the same, yeah. right? Bisbing got knocked dead by Dan Henderson and then came back to be a world champ years later, right when everybody had written him off. So we're like, man, this is like the UK version of Rocky, right? Yeah, and when yeah. you meet Michael, he is such a charismatic, like he's like a real life guy, Richie character. Dude, I right? can't wait like, to watch that. Oh, he's, dude, our first interviews, like our director is literally like, I think that's one of the top five interviews I've ever done. Like Michael, he's been taking speech lessons to work on Fox, right? So oh, he's yeah, got this yeah. great accent, but he can really, he's very in his thoughts. You ask him a question and most people, even great speakers, when you ask them a question, they'll kind of be like, well, you know, it's because um, while they're getting their thought process and how they're going to articulate sure. He edits that out, huh? He just thinks about it for a second. Like we've done this with good journalists will do this. When you interview them, they sit there and think and then they go, uh, and they just deliver, right? And they have great inflection and emotion and compassion. Bismings is like, dude, we were almost in tears at some points. And like he oh, is, Lord. oh yeah, it's going to be wicked. That's cool. So wow. that was brought to me, you know, uh, making Coco was brought to me and then, Donovan Bailey, it's funny, and here's a good lesson, not to be preachy, but don't worry about the failures. And like you hear everybody saying, don't be afraid to fail. Arnold, I'm a big fan. I yeah, oh, yeah. But I pitched Bell, who's like our biggest Canadian network, right? They also own cell phone companies and Shaw, they're giant in Canada. They're, they, are, they are the Netflix of Canada, right? You, I've never got a project with them until now. I'd pitch them probably once a year for the last decade, always been rejected. But at least I knew that they knew my work and they'd always let me come in and be like, hey, Adam, what do you got? What do you got? Mm. Things are close. No, we're going to pass. No, we're going to pass. Um, but then they reached out to me just saying, hey, your name got recommended by the people that they listed the names in the email. The people essentially passed on me for a year saying, hey, this guy is really talented or you should work with them to do one of their series. So we did one of the episodes, which is the Donovan Bailey one. Oh, so cool. great oh, lesson of God. like, and I remember I said it right when in the room, all these big, like Corey Coe, who's like, I, I joked, I'm like, you're like the Kaiser Sose of Bell. Everybody knows your name and you're the final decision maker, but hardly anybody gets to meet with her. And they all came down to meet me and Robin Johnston, all the, all the big female execs. And 
I said, I'm like, do you know how amazing this is? They're like, I've pitched you guys for a decade and you guys have consistently said no. And they're like, but you must have done something right in your pit sessions because we came to you. Yeah. Right. Mm. So, you know, great, great thing I explained to my daughter and my kids is don't worry about the rejections and failures because as long as you still are doing them to the best of your ability, sure. things can go. And look, but that took a long time, right? That was years before they finally came and said, hey, we're doing the series. We've heard good things about you. So you can't dwell on that negative or bring that in there or be, you know, it's fortunate with docs, we don't get that, but in the film industry, I'll often work with people that have worked in film and television for a while, and they're super bitter, right? Because they all had dreams of like writing their own script or creating their own content, and then it never panned out, and now they're just a second camera guy or just sure, a gaffer. Yeah. Or, in LA, it's Lyft. Motherfucker, yeah. lift, pick you up in the lift. Yeah. Like, yeah. Know everything about production. Like, yeah. man, you know you got to get this kind of light. Man, why, why you ain't pitching to such and such? Motherfucker, know everything about yeah. film. He's yeah. like, man, well, what's your fan base like? Uh, mostly Mexican American. How you gonna make it mainstream? And I'm like, God damn, man, <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 this yeah. is my stop. Yeah. I gotta yeah, go, yeah. guy. Bad hey, at least they're positive like that. You know, the worst <laughs> is when you have people that are in it and they feel like their 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 ship has ended and they're just now they're stuck in this and this is all they know and yeah. they don't see it and they're just so jaded and like, ah, oh, this producer side, this production sucks and it's like i can't be around those people i can't oh, no. wait to get away from them we don't experience them in docs like everyone that does docs loves to like honestly my team now we joke because we just did a shoot before the holidays and it was like the hockey team or like the band getting back We're like the <laughs> band is like because now with airbnbs we all like stay together so it's like the crew all knows each other and we joke and you know better than just doing a hotel and we're like okay guys call times at 7 a.m yeah. see you in the morning like you kind of facetime you're, in your you're family bonding a little bit. yeah you get to hang out and joke mm. and you know when you're away from your families it's kind of nice knowing everyone mm. and you can it's your road family yeah so we're like honestly what, what i get to do now and with the team i work with like i don't when people are like what's your five-year goal i'm like just to continue what yeah, i'm doing yeah. Like, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. Going back to um, you saying you must have done something right. Yeah. Um, so I had a teacher that said, which kind of applies to you. He said, do your job well, do your job so well that when a person thinks of a job well done, they think of you. Oh, thank you. That's My dad, my stepfather, who's who dropped me off today, he, he said that. He's like, Adam, even if you're washing dishes, I don't care what job you're doing, you do it so good that whenever someone says like, hey, we need it to be like this guy, mm -hmm. right? Like even, don't ever think like, well, this is just my stepping stone, but no, kill it in that stepping stone mm -hmm. position mm -hmm. so that you move up quick. For don't sure. think you're, something you're hearing a lot of our youth, and I, I haven't like owned my bar or done anything like that for a while to see it, but where people are so entitled now where they're like there for a week, they're like, well, so when do I apply for manager? You know, yeah. like, Dude, when you kill it in this, right? Or I had that recently with Shane that we brought in, you heard me talking about, like he came in and just, fucking crushed it to where now I have to watch because almost every set I bring him to people are like dude is is he working for you all the time it's like I want to pull him to my movie I'm like fuck off he's mine right like fuck you and like as obviously if they offered him a great gig I would tell and he's such a good guy and we're good friends now too so he's always like you know but one of the things I do that a ton of producers don't I don't know if I think most industries aren't as bad as ours but the film industry is so vain and when I was coming up and it, nobody wanted to tell you anything, I'd be like, I'd be trying to learn about docs and I'd be like, well, what was your budget? And they're like, oh, I can't talk budgets. And I'm like, why? Like, what is it? They're like, no, I can't, can't, can't. I fucking hated that shit. Like people now, they're like, what was your budget? I'm like, I'll send it to you. Mm -hmm. I just removed the names. Like mm -hmm. you don't need to see exactly what I paid our director and stuff. Sure. But you can see the director fee. I don't hide any of that. I share that. People are like, you just share your budgets? I'm like, what, what is it going to affect me? There's something in our industry that people feel like if Ego, if huh? you have success, somehow that's going to take away from my project. But you have a different demographic. So why, if I helped mm. you, why would that hurt me? Right? Like it's it's such a stupid, small-minded you know thing. Like, that is so common in the 
comedy world, I think, well, you within see, Adam, comedians. It's crazy. I, I brought you on to pick your brain because I, too, want to do a hockey goalie movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First Mexican-American yeah. hockey goalie. Bring hey. in the competition. <laughs> hey, I, hey, I know you do comedy. I think that would be... If, you want to get in some goalie pads and let some pros shoot on you? I can set that shit up. People, we have a funny. Put, put story. a GoPro out in my head. No, so, so the uh, the Wayne's brothers did that, and they had Grant Fuhrer come in as like this, and they're like, "Okay, we need you to teach him to be ready to take like a whole bunch of shots." And Grant's like, "You're gonna fucking pay me to do this?" He's like, "You don't understand when a puck is coming. Like the average guy can shoot 90 miles an hour, and that thing is like a rock. It's a hard rubber biscuit like this." I guess he took like three shots and was like, he's like, no, I want, want you to hit me to see what it feels like. And Kren's like, I don't think you do, man. Like, it's not Damn. fucking, feel- he took two or three. He's like, oh, I'm dying. I'm dying. You shot me. It man, it's it's tough. Getting I believe in it because even when they slam against the the, the glass, glass. Yeah. Oh. it's crazy. It's like, wow. It's just oh, like you, you hear it. You should see guys that have been hit like where their visor is in. Like the jaw like explodes. Well, like the all teeth their teeth are gone. Are their face. Go. I, I couldn't even. When my coach introduced us to his team players, I was like, "Half of them are missing teeth, and none of them care." I'm like, "So they're not going to fix them? Like no, that's for like, what?" They'll like fix them when they finish. Yeah, that's right. exactly that's what he said. There's He's no like, point. You'll get them yeah. fixed, and the next game you'll take a stick uh, in yeah. the mouth. And it's like my it's my jujitsu ears. <laughs> yeah, that I'm trying to get. Yeah, yeah. 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 you started jujitsu too. Oh, did you? I'm trying to get the ears, and then I'm out. So when do I get the ears? No, that's there's been comedians talk about that. They're like, "I'm just going to get plastic, like how girls get boob jobs. I'm just going to get." cauliflower ears be yeah. like man that guy must be badass yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. but but it'll look weird like if you're really not in shape and it's just like you just got the ears he's like, retired right? hey you no there's rubber band there's some not in shape killers man roy nelson yeah. the funny guy yeah. like you saw him you'd be like, come on this guy's gonna last 30 seconds that guy's got cardio for days yeah. for a big guy hey what were you recently doing at netflix like a week ago we were pitching uh we pitched uh breaking olympia about phil heath seven time mr oh, olympia shit. So working with him, um, we were also showing them because I did. I were, I helped uh, executive produce the Bob Probert documentary. We were pitching them making cocoa because we've sold the Canadian rights. Now we're trying to find out what we're doing with the U.S. Right. Uh. So we had a whole bunch of things. We were showing them Bisbang. We were showing them because um, uh, then there's different departments. There's we met Audrey who does documentary acquisitions and then we met gabe who just got hired from fox sports who was originally at espn 30 for 30 where he does specifically sports docs so uh, netflix has niche like we literally yeah. the old guy that used to do docs now does christmas movies for netflix and that's all he does <laughs> i was telling the, chino yeah, this they before they deliberately move people from these positions every two years because oh. then they feel there'll be no buddy system you'll have to pitch on the merit and the quality of your project, right? Because as soon as me and Chino boy, like, Chino, we did good on Ice Guardians and this, man. Why don't you throw me a bone for Bisbing and this one, this one? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll license it. But now if he's gone, it's like, dude, I can't help you. You have to go to so-and-so. Oh, I only wow. do Christmas movies now, right? So that's their idea. And I, I think there's some merit too. Although it sucks because I was just starting to get some connections in Netflix. And I'm like, at least, at least we can always get my sales agent knows really well because they don't take unsolicited pitches from producers so my sales agent has a great rapport and we can get in any time with mm. him and my sales agent and i are good buddies too because traditionally the sales agent never lets you meet the buyer because then you could essentially just sidestep and say well i know the buyer now i don't need yeah. you but mm. that's just not how i work like i just, just i mean my jode is a very good friend of mine i would just never do that to anyone period but i definitely wouldn't do that to a friend of mine but that's again going by these things i'm trying to change as a producer, I just don't operate like some of these. I worked for some of those other producers that, and I, and I try to compare this budget thing that I'm going back to in any other business. Like, hey, Rob, I'm going to build you a house. Okay, cool. Like, 
I've got 400 grand. I'm going to build a house. Be like, okay, well, I can only show you like the top portion of the budget. I can't show you the rest. And you're like, what the fuck? Like what other business can you do that? But in film industry, that's been the standard for years because it used to be so hard to have contacts to be able to get the people, like whether it was actors or the talent to do it, or back when you actually had to buy film and film reels were fucking expensive, right? If you didn't have a contact getting in, you just couldn't, like the hard cost of the film was hundreds of thousands of dollars. So yeah. if you're an indie filmmaker, you're like, well, I just, I just can't even afford that, right? Let alone the camera. So you needed these, a lot of these old producers are trying to hang on to that. We're like, well, I can introduce you to so-and-so, but I'll need a hundred grand for it. I'm like, damn. Or I can go into IMTV and just see who their manager is and I can message them. <laughs> or I can hit them on right? Twitter. Like, for real. Fuck you, right? Like, I don't, I, I'm not going to yeah. pay you to do that shit anymore. But a lot of them, like that's what they're stuck in, right? So that's why they would hide these budget and they were able to do that. But I break the mold and same with even, I tell people like not to get too complicated, but there's a thing about fair use laws for footage that's how we get around using NHL footage and stuff like that. And in Canada, it's very different than the United States, but there's a way to do it from Canada, but use the US laws. And I've literally told like 12 documentary filmmakers like how to use that, because literally no one in Canada was doing it. I was one of the first. And I was explaining to people how to do it. And people were like, how, why would you just tell people how to do that? I'm like, because I don't work that way. I'd be like, well, I can't tell you. And then sure enough, one of the people I helped, they just brought me on as an executive producer and paid me to do the Bob Probert story. Because nice. they're like, they kept calling, like when they were calling me, like when they were scheduling calls like twice a week for like three weeks, I'm like, guys, I, I like helping, but <laughs> why don't you just bring me on as a consultant? This would be way easier, right? Yeah. I can just, that way I can help you and navigate you the whole way through. And they're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. You'd do that. So again, one of those lessons for me that I just learned that just treating people the right way in the first place and just trying to do the job ethically and correct, like even though there are sharks out there and wolves that'll try to you know manipulate that and take that a wrong way, I think if your team stays the right way, I mean, it's work for me and knock on wood, it's yeah. continually, I mean, Rob, since we've worked here, like it, it, it's getting to the point now where I'm, I'm having to refuse docs. Cause I know, I'm, it's crazy. I'm like, wow. man, I, I can't, I can't take on anymore right now. Like my intern financing is maxed and I got, I've got all my teams working and it's, you know, I, I was telling my dad this, it was one of those things where, you know, you always think you're doing right as a parent and then as in your career and you're, you're trying to do things right. But after our last shoot before the holidays, my whole team, my DOP, my director, my producer, they all pulled me aside at separate times and were just like, Adam, just like, I just want to thank you for being on this production. Like, I love working with you. I hope we can do this for years. And like, it's really emotional, like heartwarming. All these guys separately, like they didn't come as a team or think about it. They were just like, man, I'm so thankful to be on your productions. I have worked on other ones. And like, I just want this to keep going, right? That's that like, Airbnb and, and, vibe, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, th I think that when you're good, just, I always tell him this, I think that's the reason why a lot of the comedians like to work with us continuously. Um, this is totally kind of similar, not similar, but so we have a flight hookup, right, for our comedians to come with us. Flight hookup is not probably going to happen this next year. Yeah. So I kind of told the comedians, like, hey, I'd love for you guys to still work with us, but the flight hookup may not happen this year. It may come out of y'all's pocket this time around. I said, so I completely understand if you guys are going to, like, decline any of the offers that I gave you guys. Not one said. Oh, that's awesome. No, they all were like, no, we will figure it out. We'd still like to be That's part awesome. of the tour. Please let us know. Like, and so, you know, so that made me feel better. And it, and I told him, I said, okay, now, now I feel like I got to figure out a way to like, get that, hook them yeah, up, yeah. you know, like be, we're, part, we're always good about it. But part too. of that is being honest. And that's where I found my team, you know, going back to the budgets, what works so good with that is like when I share my budget right from the get go, everybody sees what we're all making the director. And I'm like, look guys, everyone's gotten used to a certain kind of quality and style from us. We need to deliver like we're making these for a million bucks, but we only have half of that. So 
my DOP, he's got all the equipment. I'm like, look, can you do it for this bulk rate, right? And like, of course, we'll work with your schedule. I'm not asking you to be there every time I call, but like, yeah. we'll try to book you when you're not working so you can still take other gigs and make it all work. And all of them are just like, man, I've never had producers do this, right? Where they just show me and they're like, yeah. and then he actually went for the Grant Fear one. He really wanted to get some really, they wanted to recreate when Grant was young, being like one of the first black goaltenders in Canada. And they didn't even make gloves for his hand. So he had to use like an opposite hand glove and, and you know, he had his fro kicking out. And we actually found like, cause there's all these crazy hockey goalie collectors that we found like the original pads he would have had back in the sixties and like the original mask and they're all in hall of fame and we pulled them. And he just went and organized and shot that with himself with a young goaltender he knew from Calgary that was a young black guy with the fro that played. And we mimicked the Grant Fear style of like the crazy kick saves. And he just did that. And he's like, Adam, I just think this will make the film better. Like those kind of things where like he didn't have to do that. Normally his day rate's fifteen hundred bucks a day this with the camera. This is my DOP, my director of photography, right? Like with camera, he's fifteen hundred dollars a day, right? And then you want to put a sound guy and everything. Like, lighting, like, yeah. What, what is your lighting like when you have a crew out doing like the two angle yeah. talking head? How many lighting guys? We have well. There's just usually the DOP does the lighting. Or Brett, our director, he's also the DOP, so he'll do the lighting. But they bring all different lighting kits. Like sometimes they might want, like if you want right into camera, you want might want might might want more of like a ring light effect, where it's really just hitting your eyes and it seems. All depends. They have preferences for lighting, but our lighting takes a long time. Like it's two hours. We usually ask our because our talent be like, yeah, come by and like in twenty minutes. Well, they're like, no, no, no. This isn't like a TSN sports interview where you just <laughs> jump in. Like this is meant for the big screen. We don't need you there during that setup time, but we need access to the like if they because some people with the talent, if it's a really big talent and they're doing it free as a buddy, like you know, say we're going for Vin Diesel or something, we can't say, oh, like, you know, like so a lot of times like, hey, it's simplest for me if you just come to the house, right? And then that's when we say, look, can we get access like two hours before, find a cool spot, maybe move your furniture around, set it up because we really want to. So you want to kind of set those premises before you go in there. Because sometimes you start moving shit and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what are you doing? Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's, you know, the piano looks cheesy. We don't hey, want it in there. Moving like, this ugly fucking piano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what are you doing with the Heath again? Pardon? With Phil? We're, looking, we're doing a feature doc with him that we're right now pitching to Netflix, so hoping that it, they take it on as an original, so to be our first original. Oh, um, They just cool. started this sports this sports division, the sports documentary division. So, so it'll be so. about him. Be yes. all about him. Yeah, going to, because if he wins, he came second this year and he set a record, but if he wins uh, in the next year, he will tie Ronnie Coleman and um, Lee Haney as the most decorated ever with eight wins. Uh I know he's got some some hernia issues he has to get solved, so he might not be going this year. Might be next year, but um, him climb and then he's actually going to come down to Texas and train with Ronnie Coleman because uh, they all thought he got robbed this year because they changed the voting. This year, the voting they allowed the fifth judge to be the audience vote, and Phil's what? like, yeah, and Phil's like, man, I've been the champ for seven years. So he's like every round, the audience wanted to see me do like, I just got every, everybody just was like, mm. fuck him, like vote yeah, for the other guy. Yeah. And he's like, they only announced that he's like, and the whole tournament is subjective anyway. Right. These guys all look incredible. And you're like, mm, no, he's a little bit more muscular than the by, other guy. By a like hair, hair though. Yeah. It's like so, crazy. So he wants to kind of go out with this and, so yeah, I mean, that was one that was approached by his his lawyer and manager because he he also represented Scott Parker as one of the enforcers in Ice Guardians and, and we're friends on Facebook. He's like, Adam, I see the way you market your docs. I loved Ice Guardians. He's like, we want you. They're like, ESPN has come to us and other things, but we want you. And one of the you know kind of selling factors I do is I don't just, like normally when you do this with talent, you'll license their life rights for a fee and then go make it. 
I am of the ilk of just let's be 50-50 partners. I'll still give you, you know, a certain percentage based on our budget, but I don't come up with some arbitrary number. I'll say, let me take it to market, see what we can get, and I'll give you 10 to 15% of that as your upfront free, but then you'll also be my 50-50 partner. Mm. And a lot of people are like, dude, I get to own the content? Because normally if you do yeah. it with HBO yeah. or ESPN, yeah, they just do it mm. and they do whatever they want with it, right? So most people are like, fuck those networks. You're my favorite. Like, <laughs> especially guys like Phil Heath that have, you know, he has like four, between all of his social media, I think he's got six million followers. Or like, so if you own 50% of the iTunes and VOD residuals for the next 10 years, you know, that can be nice little residual check. That yeah, comes, he came so. into a nutrition depot and that was one of the groupies that stood in the long line. To no go get my, yeah, I have that's the picture. Funny. I'll show All it right, to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like I we I did a, a bicep pose with him just because I wanted to compare our biceps because he was just like ginormous. I mean, he's big. He looks big in pictures, but he's actually that big in person. Oh, yeah, like he's, he's ginormous. Well, you heard the bicep pose is interesting because you heard about how he got started, right? No. So he was a pro basketball player, college basketball player in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Uh, he had a scholarship and then he actually went to a natural bodybuilding competition with his friend. His friend's like, oh, come check it out. And he's like, sure, never been. And he was just wearing like a basketball tank top. And the guy that was like the, the state champ or something was like, shit, how long you been training? And he's like, what do you mean? Like basketball? I've been playing for it. He's like, no, you don't. He's like, you don't lift? Like you just saw how defined he was. He was like, no, I don't lift at all. And he's like, dude, he's like, I don't usually say this to most people, but if you've got that kind of like physique without lifting, you should consider bodybuilding because oh, you'd wow. have one hell of a... And then his friend was like, hey, let's get a bicep pose with the two of you. And the guy would not take it. He's like, I'm not <laughs> doing a fucking bicep pose with a guy that doesn't work out. Yeah, I got to find the picture. It's like a better peak than me. That's funny. Right? So that's how Phil got started. He had wow. really a basketball physique. And then, so he's got a really cool story. And again, when this first came to me, I take it to the director and or the directors I work with. I said, hey, would any of you guys be interested in this? And then they, and Brett does these incredible pitch books on the Apple coffee table book that just looks like, it literally looks like a book you buy at chapters or like Barnes and Noble. Like it's so, presentation is everything. So when you go in front of these people, they're like, holy fuck, you put this much research and Brett puts all these quotes and, and stuff like that and how he would see the story. Mm. And of course with a doc, it always kind of goes its own way. You can yeah. never script it completely, but we can have certain key events that we want to try to tell as arcs through the thing. So, so how are you trying to kick off 2019? Uh, I, I, I need, I know this is such a cliche thing, but I need to get in a little bit better shape. Like a little, dad bod's a little heavy. I'm over 220 and that's just like, you know, that's heavyweight in the UFC and I just don't feel I'm that big of a man. I should, <laughs> I should be around two, under 210. So I want to try to do that, but uh, really want to just kick ass on the, you know, we're, we're releasing Making Coco is going to be coming into the US here in the next six months. Is that the plan. one about the hockey? That's about, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, Grand Fuhrer. Uh, you know, we got the Donovan Bailey one coming up. We're starting Bisbing and then Danny Trejo, like that one inmate number one could be, I, I don't want to jinx anything, but I really think that's one that's going to really skyrocket Brett and the team's career. It's got all the elements to go really far as far as commercial success, but it's also got the, like, I mean, you know, he's supposed to be executed in prison. He's been in recovery for 50 years. He always gives back, which is a promise he made when he was facing gas chamber sentences and Soledad. Damn, I didn't know Danny Trejo yeah, had. It's got it's got all the elements to be. Because I've met him a few times. And really, I never got the gas chamber vibe. <laughs> no, well, he talks about that. He had to specifically change his vibe so that he could be successful in the film industry. Because in prison, he was he was ran protection rings, and he was like a alpha alpha he was like the number one inmate that was like hey you come in there like chino you're like hey man i don't know how this world works and he's like i'll look after you but i want my my cell clean and i want extra food at the cafeteria because that's where you're working and i got you i'll make sure me and my boys make sure that you don't get fucked with in here um and he survived in there and then when he got out 
just the natural, like people were scared of him because in prison, he was like, I've been involved in several prison riots where when you're standing on the yard and you're about to have a race war, he's like, you want it to look so fucking intimidating that when guys are eyeballing who they're going to get into with, they're like, nah, that guy looks too fucking crazy. I'm going to go to this guy, right? Like, he's like, so I had to learn how to break that, right? To where now he's always smiling and like always engaging to like, you look at him and he won't give you that stare. You're like, hey, how you doing? Even if he doesn't know you, right? He's always to the point where 75 years old now, he gets exhausted because he does it so he's much. 70, he's like, hey, no, wow, he's 75? 75, yeah. Damn. He didn't even start acting. He didn't get out of prison until he was like 28, 29. He does not look 75 no, at all. Yeah. That's and guy's still doing two or three movies a year. So it's got all the elements to be, you know, run the award ceremonies and get a limited theatrical release. Plus with the way Hollywood's going, they want much more like Latino and, you know, and uh, it, they don't want just the, the white man stories. Well, let me know about stories. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me know how that how that works. So we're we're fingers crossed. I just watched the rough cut. We just got notes from Danny. Danny was in tears and said, like, you know, I am Danny Trejo and I approve it. Like his team loved it. And it, it's super emotional. It's very inspiring because cool. here's a guy that was, you know, like I said, he's facing execution. And well, I'll give you a little bit more back. So. He started a riot in 1968 in Soledad, and he always likes to tell the story with humor because he's very funny now. I don't know if you got to see his humor, but he's a super funny guy because he didn't get to have much of a childhood. He was doing, he did his first shot of heroin when he was 12 and was doing armed robberies and stuff when he was like 10 and 30. Wow. He was in and out of juvenile hall from the time he was 12 years old. Um, so he didn't have much of a childhood, so he's got a real inner childhood spirit now. But he had started a riot, and he always jokes about this when he's like, allegedly, I might have started a riot and he's like ah statute of limitations i did fucking start a riot right like, <laughs> he was sitting with his buddy with cinco de mayo and he always tells a joke but he's like cinco de mayo to us means way different than it means to everybody else it means it's like how long do we get arrested right because then he said so he uh they got drunk off some like hooch that they'd made in prison and they, were, they used to have live baseball games in soledad where they'd have free players come in and perform so the inmates had something to watch and Danny was daring his, his, his buddy. He's like, hey, that guy's chewing gum. He's like, I really want some gum because they don't allow gum in prison. He's like, oh, I want some so bad. He's like, but I bet that guy knows karate, so you don't want to fuck with him. He'll kick your ass. So his buddy jumped off, like went into the thing, and instantly all the guards like, get down! And he's like, give me the gum. And then they didn't give him the gum, and then everyone got down, and they shot bullets. And, and um, when the riot started, Danny threw a rock, and he hit a prison guard in the head <laughs> and gave him brain damage. And oh, when you're in maximum security... Shit. And you do that to a guard, it's a gas chamber offense. Wow. So he was thrown into solitary confinement for six months. Ooh. And then that's when he, he believes he had his moment with God and he made a promise. And he said, God, if you exist, just let me die with dignity. And I promise I will turn my life around for the rest of my days. And I will always give back to my fellow man. Oh, wow. And he... Uh, when they went to prosecute, they went into, that's yeah. Pretty, that's he's like, good, oh, I mean, it gets he's better. Like, he's right, like, hey, this, Jesus, can you throw in a couple movie roles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you got time, let me, you know, work with like Robert Rodriguez. Yes. And maybe oh. have a documentary. Maybe sell tacos. <laughs> vegan. <laughs> it, it is, like, if you were to script it, you'd be like, come on. That's bullshit. His story is incredible. And then he, when he went to get prosecuted, the prison guard could have easily said, he could have pointed at any three of them and said, that motherfucker did it. He said, I don't know which one of the three did it. So they weren't willing to try to execute all three men. So he got off. Danny uh, took that as a sign. Uh, and then he did. He got sober in prison from heroin and became a drug addiction counselor. When he got out of prison, that's what he started to do. And when 
he'd start giving back and he says everything good that's happened to him is a direct result of him helping others and he's like it started with as simply as when i first got out i take my next door neighbor's garbage out and he's like and trust me it wasn't easy prison tattoos going to help an old lady she's like don't rob me don't and he's like just give me your fucking garbage and then that eventually found him on the set of one Ray train because he went to go help a young kid that was struggling said i'm going to use cocaine and then danny right away when he came on set everybody saw his face and said you'd look great like could you be an extra? And he's like, an extra what? And they're like, an extra in a movie. And he's like, maybe. Like, what do you want me to do? They're like, it'll pay you 30 bucks a day and we need you to look like a convict. He's wow. like, I'm Say pretty no sure more, I can man. do that. Say I can do that. And then when he, the first day the director saw him, like right away, or Eddie Bunker, who was the writer um, who also served time, uh, who John Voigt's character in Heat is based off Eddie Bunker. Oh, wow. True story. Yeah, there's something. And Danny's character in Heat is also named Trejo, named after his uncle Gilbert, who was the known gangster that trained Danny how to do armed robberies. Jesus. Wow. That's crazy. Adam Scorgi, will we see you out at uh, Park City? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Please, like, we'll let's change context. We got my parents got a place there, so you guys can come over for drinks and stuff. Cool. For sure, for sure. Uh, I'll be like, uh, is Adam there, fool? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy? Hey, at the my door? homie Adam, man. He said I could come. Uh, but yeah, man, we'll see you. Thank you for stopping by. And you're headed where after this? Back to Canada? Yeah, we we fly out tomorrow, but I'm uh, back with the family tonight. But uh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's always great to catch up with Rob. Yeah, and great meeting you, uh, Gino, and your and wife. Thank you for coming. Oh, my we pleasure. Appreciate it. We learned you, a you lot. Want, do you want to shout out your Instagram? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. My 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 handles are like uh, Twitter's Adam Score, like a gold G. And my Instagram score like a goal with a G, hence the hockey. And yeah. my, that's also the pronunciation of my name because people say score G and stuff yeah. like that, score G. Uh, and then, yeah, on Facebook and stuff, you can find me. I'm super approachable on social media. That's how Rob tracked me down like several years ago. Yeah, I was just yeah. reached out. So, uh, yeah, reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram. Um, happy to get back to you. And, and thanks for listening to my babble. Keep making movies. Yeah. Keep being the Drake of documentaries. I love that. Can I? Can I? Need I need one that. of you guys to shout that out because if I shout that out, I sound more like the asshole of documentaries, right? I need well, someone to say that. Well, you heard it first, right here. Yeah, you heard yeah. It first. I mean, hey, you back it up, man. You got a bunch of great stories coming out. Um, the documentary category—that's like a whole nother type of art form. And uh, keep kicking ass. I mean, I'm gonna watch Ice Guardians. All that shit sounds amazing, especially the Trejo thing as well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Scorgi, thank you for stopping by. Peace. Peace.